One out of every five students report being bullied in schools around the United States. And while many schools have implemented programs that support bullying prevention, my guest today is more interested in getting to the root of the bullying behavior as opposed to the behavior itself. So whether you're a teacher, administrator, or parent, this episode has important information to help you and the children in your lives navigate bullying. And truly, this work only works within community. So if you're listening, it's time to join the Facebook group Empowered Educator Faculty Room. If you enjoyed this podcast, you'll love the Facebook group where you'll get live workshops, giveaways, insights, and where we can celebrate you throughout your empowered journey. You belong here in the Empowered Educator Faculty Room on Facebook. Remember all the passion and vision you had when you first went into teaching? Feeling like building young minds and creating community through your work would make a lasting impact on this world? Well, those days may feel like they're behind you now because you're exhausted, stressed, and overwhelmed and frustrated, but I'm here to tell you it doesn't have to be like this. In fact, the love of teaching never really went away, but it absolutely needs transformation. Welcome to the Take Notes Podcast. I'm Jen Rafferty, former music teacher, mom of two, and certified emotional intelligence practitioner, and I'm here to light the way for you. In order to create a generational change for our kids, we need to shift the paradigm away from the perpetual stress and overwhelm and into a life of joy and fulfillment. This is Education 2.0, where you become the priority, shift how you live your life, and how you show up both at work and at home. So take a sip of steamy morning coffee and grab your notebook. It's time to take notes. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Take Notes. Today, I have a really perfect guest to talk about something that is near and dear to my heart. And Dolly Rivera is a parenting coach specializing in bullying, awareness, and prevention education for parents of middle school age kids. She helps parents learn how to advocate for their kids and get them through the experience in a healthy way. And she is also the creator of the Diversity and Anti-Bullying Academy, and owner of Dolly Talks, LLC. Dolly is a U.S. Army veteran, speaker, parent of two teen girls, and wife of a U.S. Army veteran. And Dolly earned a master's degree in women and gender studies from Townsend University. And her passion to stop bullying comes from her own personal experiences as a bullied child and from having become an advocate for children, including her own. She has dedicated herself to sharing her knowledge to help families thrive and promote equality in their own communities. And I am so glad you're here today, Dolly, to talk with me and the rest of the Take Notes audience. So thank you for being here. Thank you, Jen. You made that bio sound so amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't it interesting when you hear someone else read your bio and you're like, oh, that's me. Oh, right. (laughs) Yeah. I do those things. Yeah. Well, I'm honored that you wanted to spend your time here with me today because bullying is something that everyone experiences in some way or another. In our lives, we are human. We grow up and everyone, especially in the middle school ages, it's like everyone says this is such a hard time of our lives. But bullying happens at every age from young childhood all the way through adulthood. Many adults are still dealing with bullying and bullies and how to navigate this kind of rocky territory. So I'm really looking forward to diving into this with you. So can we start first with your story as to how you even got here? Why are you having this mission of bullying prevention for kids? That's such a great question. I actually 
started the whole thing years after this particular event. So my child, she's always been very confident and just enthusiastic about education and everything. She was five. She started elementary school, was riding the bus. And she came home one day and told my husband and I that she was being bullied. She said a certain child who had asked her out to be her boyfriend started pulling her hair, kicking her, calling her really vulgar, bad words. How old was she? She was fine. She yeah. Was fine. So then I asked her to be his girlfriend. Girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> she rejected him, I'm assuming, too. She sure did. Yeah. She was like, nope, I'm five. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, I don't need a boyfriend. And, you know, the kid was really nice. They actually even played together the summer before school started. And so that happened. She said no, started going to the bus stop. And we started noticing uh, this is after she told us what was going on. My husband and I started noticing that the boy had two older brothers that were about seven and nine. And they would get very aggressive with him. And they would tell him things to like, just try to reel him up. And they'd say things like, you got to man up. You got to show them. You got to show her that you're the man, that you're the boss. So I think what happened was that because they knew that, that their little brother had been rejected by my daughter, they had this idea of masculinity in that they had to prove that, yeah, well, she turned him down and she should regret it because this is the man, that <laughs> five-year-old. <laughs> so obviously these ideas don't come from just anywhere. This means they were either watching something or maybe somebody was role modeling these behaviors and these ideas at home. Maybe it was somebody like a neighbor that they looked up to. Who knows? So it would get very aggressive. And one day in particular, because this happened over time, and my husband and I reported the bullying to the bus driver because it was happening at the bus stop, right? The bus driver said, I can't do anything because all the kids are scared. They don't want to speak up. And that year we had a whole bunch of five-year-olds starting school. So a lot of these five-year-olds just didn't want to say anything. And one day, these three boys, they're doing their usual thing. And they start messing with that five-year-old, the little boy. And the older two brothers, one of them grabs the little one from his arms and holds him behind him while the other brother punches him in the stomach, repeatedly telling him to man up. And it was like one of those moments where the little boy and I locked eyes for just a split second, but it felt like it was like time stopped. (laughs) And I truly saw his pain. And I understood then that all of those horrible behaviors that he was practicing and using to hurt my daughter was really like pain of his own that was being caused by his two brothers. And I remember seeing like his eyes really watering. He was holding back from crying. And I remember I can still hear him saying like, stop it. But he didn't want to sound weak when he said, stop it. And he was just so angry. And I felt really, really bad. And, you know, that experience allowed me to have compassion for bullies because now I understand that a lot of times these children are just trying to survive. And that right there is what motivated me to start doing research on bullying, not just on like how to help my daughter, because, you know, when I went to the bus driver and they said, I'm sorry, we can't help. Then I went to the school principal because, you know, naturally that's what you do as a parent. And the school principal said, I'm sorry, but it didn't happen at school campus. So I can't do anything about it. And I was furious because I'm like, what the heck? What do you mean? You hired or your school hired the bus company. Therefore, in my opinion, you're responsible just as much as they are. You need to do something about this. And of course, bullying moved on into the school. So it was happening at school. It was happening on the bus. And it was on and off, on and off for the entire school year. 
Every time I'd go and talk to the school principal, they kept saying, we have to follow protocols. We have to follow policy. We have to try this. We have to try that before expelling, suspending, kicking them off the bus. And I was like, this is ridiculous. Let me see this policy. And I was at the time in my master's program. Ironically, my concentration is social policy and leadership. So <laughs> I was in that nerdy mode of research. And well, I, started, I, I fully feel that. Yes. And you're like, excuse me, you are talking to the wrong person. Let me go see what policy you're talking about. Exactly. And, you know, I started researching that and then I learned how to use their own policy against them to get what I wanted. And it worked. But it took a lot of research and a lot of just like learning, not just what the policy said, but also how is implemented the school culture, the mentality research from like institutions that actually do bullying research, not just in the United States, but in other countries. So it's been very interesting. I started back then. She was five. She's now 16. And I haven't stopped researching since. So fast forward a few years later in 2019 is when I created Donnie Talks LLC. I had all these workshops that I continuously provided for free to PTA, friends. And my husband one day, he was like, hey, you need to sell this to the schools. And I was like, no, you know how we are. We're like, but it's, you know, that's just what I do. And he convinced me. I went to a school district family engagement center and I asked them if they'd let me pilot the program. They said, yes, we did it over the summer. And I was like, no parent's going to come in the summer at 9 a.m. to learn about bullying. But let's see what happens. And much to my surprise, I had like a packed room. And they brought their kids, which was something I was not expecting because in my mind, I, I just wanted to work with the parents because I felt like as a new parent, bullying is not one of the things that you think is going to happen to your child, especially at the age of five. When you think of bullying, you think high school, you think mean girls, right? It's like junior high, high school. And it was just very surprising. They brought their kids every morning. We had a series of workshops and they loved them. And that's how I pretty much got started and created the Diversity and Anti-Bullying Academy, which consists of like now over 20 workshops and courses on different, yeah, from cyberbullying. And I include diversity because one of the things that, you know, when I had that moment with that little boy where we like locked eyes, my nerdy self, because my master's is women and gender studies. So I remember telling my husband, like, oh my gosh, I need to teach kids or the parents how to not teach toxic masculinity. <laughs> and he was like, Girl, nobody's going to listen to you. <laughs> like people hear those buzzwords and number one, they're politicized. People hate that. Number two, it's very like um, rejected because it feels like an attack on patriarchy, you know, or on manhood. So it's like, you got to go ahead at it another angle. And I was like, okay. So yeah, there was a lot of learning through this experience on just knowing how to deliver the message and also tying in the importance of eradicating stereotypes and misconceptions and unconscious biases and how that aids or like reinforces bullying. Sure. So I mean, yeah. Well, and the messaging I think is important, especially with the gender studies too, you know, yeah, we need to smash the patriarchy. Well, <laughs> it has nothing to do with your masculinity. This is about how do we reframe what is in front of us so everyone can get an equal chance and opportunity. And I'm sure from what you've described has been the success of your business and the amount of impact you've had on so many people, it has been very well received. Yes, I and I'm so grateful for that because, you know, originally I thought, 
it might be just a few schools here and there, but no, I've actually been hired by universities to give PD for teachers and after school program coordinators and stuff. I've been hired by schools, rec centers, libraries, private organizations. And I also do, you know, like coaching, consulting one on one with parents. So I have those where I work with the organizations and then I work with the parents one on one. It's been so rewarding and of course tough too, because there are a lot of people out there that have these misconceptions of bullying. They think, oh, these kids are just soft. These kids just don't have good social skills or this is just conflict resolution tools. They'll be fine. But then you do the studies on the effects of bullying of any type. And then you find out that there's a correlation between crimes, violence, and bullying. There's a correlation with negative mental health impacts. There's a correlation with dropout rates, even attendance before the pandemic. Approximate studies show, and you can look this up on stopbullying.gov, 160,000 kids were missing school, you know, just not going to school every day just to avoid a bully. And when you think about economics, right, like how that impacts not just you as an individual, as a taxpayer, but your school, if schools get paid, and this is something parents also don't know, schools get paid sometimes approximately $120 per child per day that they attend. So if 160,000 kids are missing school from just every day, that's 160 times $100. Let's just round it down to 100. That's millions of dollars outside that are being taken out of the education system, which happens to be your tax dollars that are not being put to work. So when people say that's not a really big deal, it's not a big issue. Yes, it is a huge social issue and it actually is a financial or economic issue. And people just are not educated on that. Sure. I see. You're not educated about that, which I think is why the work that you do is so important, that the implications aren't just what you're seeing in front of you. They're they're far greater than that. So I have so many questions about what you introduced to everyone at the beginning here. And I actually want to talk first about when you mentioned bullying and having compassion for the bully. So that, to me, I would love for you to dive into that because as a victim of bullying, to then have compassion for the bully, there's a lot of stuff that needs to happen there. And I don't know if that's the only equation, right? So can you talk more about that? Yeah, definitely. That's such a good question. It's something that I get a lot of resistance from when I talk to parents about it. Because the mentality is the heck with that bully, they need to be punished. But we have to look at the root causes. These are children. These are somebody's babies. And something's going on. Like that little boy, that five-year-old, he was such a sweet kid until that stuff started happening at the bus stop. And what I've found with research is that there are several reasons why kids bully. Sometimes they're the victim bullies. So they're trying to survive because they have tried to use the system that is set in place that is supposedly going to keep them safe. So say reporting at school and the children go into their, their report, according to them, and nothing's done. And they see the bully getting away with stuff over and over and over and over to the point to where they're like, the heck with this. Nobody's helping me. So I'm going to become the bully because nobody messes with a bully. And then there's the children who have and they live in an environment where bullying behaviors are practiced every single day. Is this a toxic home? And then they come to school and they're repeating those behaviors because that's what they have for a role model. And they don't realize it until somebody teaches them the hard way, right? 
Sometimes it's through a fight. Sometimes it's going to the principal's office. So many reasons. The other thing is too that I feel like the media sometimes glamorizes bullying. When you have movies where the bully is this bad, like athlete, and he's, you know, that's the man. And, you know, people are like, yeah, look at that. I want to be like that. Nobody's having these conversations with children when they're watching those type of scenes. Somebody's not saying, hey, okay, let's talk about that. That was funny. It was cool. But in reality, that's not good. It's not accepted behavior. Then there's children who just go through stuff that uh, have not been taught how to manage their emotions. That's why so many schools the last, what, decade or so have been focusing so much on social emotional learning skills, which means pretty much teaching children how to recognize their emotions and have self-control. And that ties in a lot to bullying and many other type of things that happen, right? Not just at school, but overall in our lives. So if we're not teaching kids that it's okay to have anger, but it's not okay to use that anger to hurt themselves or others, then we're not going to stop bullying or any type of violence. So these are all the different type of, I mean, there's more reasons why kids practice those behaviors. But you know, the other thing too that I notice, not just by having focus groups with teachers and parents, but also being at school campuses observing, I see that the language at schools needs to change. For example, when a child does something that's not acceptable, they are sent to detention. They are labeled as the trouble kid or the bully. And so the schools are reinforcing that stigma. And when kids feel stigmatized, like they're tied to that label and they can't get out of that, then they lean into it and they're like, oh yeah, I'm the bad kid. I'll show you. Okay. Because they start to accept that I'm like, this is what they expect from me. Therefore, that's what I will be. And I remember many years ago when I was starting, I went to a principal and I knew that at the school they had a bullying problem. I had a conversation with him and I suggested, would you consider instead of having a punishment, like having them go to detention, maybe having a meditation session? And he laughed about that. And he was like, why would I reward a, a kid who bullied somebody? What are the parents going to think? And I thought, you're not thinking it through because what this child needs is reflection and meditation helps with that, right? So then uh, a couple of years ago, actually, my kid's uh, middle school principal, um, I was having a conversation with him and he was telling me that he had this room called OCI. I can't remember what it stands for, but when kids do something not acceptable, instead of detention, they go to this room where they have reflection writing. They have a conversation with a school psychologist or with a social worker that works at the school. They have journaling. They even watch sometimes like some type of like more of the story short movie just to help them understand why they did what they did, how to avoid it next time and how to make it right. How do you get to that point to where you are sincerely apologetic and you convey that to the person you hurt? And then how do I help you as the offender? to not repeat that offense. And also they had like tools that they give the parents on for the victim on how to help the victim. So I still see that there's a big lack in providing the tools to the kid who exhibits the bullying behaviors. And there's a need to change our language. Like don't call somebody the bully. Say this child is exhibiting bullying behaviors. And I still have that problem 
<laughs> because sure, it might be difference, right? Between yeah. behavior and then the label. I think so what you're saying, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's less about in the moment victim having compassion for the bully. This is really about the other adults in these spaces understanding that the behavior is a symptom of a greater situation that's going on to get curious about that and then separately handling the victim of the bullying and then eventually perhaps getting to a point where there's some sort of reconciliation. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, this is something totally achievable. We just have to change that mindset as adults because we do. We come from like a history of spanking your kids, putting them on time out because they, you know, um, making them do like something harsh, like even the military to, <laughs> to this day, if you do something you're not supposed to, what do you do? You go out and like do some type of hard labor as punishment. And instead, we need to just give teaching tools so that people recognize where they went wrong, how to make it better, how to self-improvement pretty much. And also to, when it comes to kids, to let them know that your mistakes do not define who you are, because that's how self-loathing starts. Which then creates the bullying. And more and more. Some people, man, when you look at the statistics of like the juvenile detention system, there's been studies where they did um just research of like how many of the kids who were incarcerated or imprisoned were bullied before the age of 14 and then how many after the age of 14 and how many were bullied both before and after. And the studies show a significant increase comparing them to kids who were not bullied before the age of 14. I mean, it's crazy because so many people are like, oh, no, this is just a behavior issue. This is just a discipline problem. This is just the parents didn't teach them right. And it could be that, but studies are showing that it's also being victimized. And studies also show that everybody involved in bullying behaviors and and incidents tend to also have negative impacts on mental health. So we've got to look at it from that standpoint instead of just like, let's punish these kids. Sure. And I'm thinking of this, too, as the role of, of the adults in schools. We also have been victims of bullying, have been bullies ourselves. And I've also been a victim of bullying when I was a kid. And I think that we carry those stories with us and those memories and those feelings with us. And now we're in a position where we are helping kids navigate their own lives. But those stories are still there. Those traumas are still there for us, which then affect the way that we handle these situations. Mm -hmm. So I think, how do you talk with the adults about handling their own bullying situation, even when there's bullying that's happening within the schools? I hear this a lot, you know, because now I work pretty exclusively with the adults in schools. And, you know, there are situations where it doesn't feel safe to be authentic. It doesn't feel safe to use your voice. And unfortunately, what happens is a lot of complacency. Of, we just don't do anything and we just kind of ignore it and sweep it under the rug and we don't talk about it. So can you can you speak a little bit about how to maybe course correct a little bit? Yeah. So, I, I mean, if you're talking from like what the teacher can do in the classroom, I'll go from that angle. The teachers have so much power because you create the environment that you want, right? So having many, like say every morning, you give one simple little tip. I mean, basic foundation tips about kindness, about not hurting others or yourself, about inclusive language. Just like observe your class 
and then take note on what you need to educate your classroom, your students about. So if you're hearing a lot of like stereotypes being shouted out at somebody, then you find either like during reading time, a book that teaches on something that dispels that stereotype. But also just doing this every single day with micro habits, pretty much. Like I've seen some teachers that are super creative with starting with, say, like affirmations before you enter the classroom or where you always have to say simple things like thank you or excuse me. They're so basic and people are like, that's just homeschooling. That's just home training. You learn that at home. Well, not everybody does because some kids are not being role modeled those behaviors. And then literature is so huge because kids are already in school, right? So be more than intentional on the type of books that you choose for reading time, especially when it's leisure time. And I have a huge list because I'm always going out and taking out books, especially in new releases that can teach about kindness, empathy. But also teachers need to also request support. And I know that this is a big issue. And I know that there's like a funding. But imagine if all the teachers in the school or the majority of them are asking for this one type of training consistently, then eventually they're going to be hurt, right? But the other thing too is teachers, I think, could take the opportunity with a short little email or maybe a one-on-one conversation during school pickups or drop-offs with parents to let them understand too that they parents have an even more powerful voice than the teachers when it comes to requesting resources. And this is one of the things that I always teach in my workshops to the parents is like, hey, you actually can help the teachers more than the teachers can help themselves because the administration is going to listen to you before they listen to the teachers because you're the ones who hold their feet to the fire. So if you feel like your teachers are not being provided with the right training on how to manage bullying at schools and the studies show that most of bullying happens in the classroom when people are present then obviously there's a need for that. We just need to educate our parents and our teachers, right? Yeah, and as far as parents go, micro habits, oh my gosh, they're so important. And when I mean micro habits, I mean uh, to build confidence because confident children, number one, are not gonna become targets because bullies want the weak link, the one that they know is not gonna say anything. And number two, confident kids will also not feel the need to bully others. So these micro habits can be practiced from, oh my gosh, so, so young with simple things like using the power of your voice. Like when, you know, if you have a very shy child and they're afraid to ask for a drink of water, when they're like, can I have a drink of water? Encourage them to say, hey, may I have a drink of water? Like very, and you have to role model it. And when I was looking for studies that can indicate anything about a successful bullying program or anti-bullying program, I looked not just in the United States, but worldwide. And UCLA found a study, they did a study, and they found out that the programs that are used in Finland are super effective, the most effective for one reason. And that is because they role model the behaviors, the positive behaviors, which is funny because I've been teaching that since I started this. (laughs) And when I tell parents, you got to role model it, you got to play it out like a scenario or something. You got to have your child stand in a power pose, you know, like that Superman or Superwoman or Wonder Woman pose with their chin up, their chest puffed out, you know, their shoulders squared and have have them use that power voice, you know, with not shouting, but just inflict it, you know, very steady and strong. And they're like, oh, they're not going to do that. I'm like, well, they're little. 
And little kids will most likely go along with it if you make it fun. And it doesn't have to be like a one hour <laughs> class. It can be simply like as they're coming out of, the, you know, out of your home to walk to the bus stop. Just have them say their goodbyes in a very assertive way. These micro habits, like what my child, one of my kids, she has been very shy most of her life, but I have used micro habits to help her, you know, shed that shyness. One of the things that I've done is because she's scared to speak to people is every time we'd go to the store, I just have her go do a price check. I didn't need the price check. I just wanted her to go and practice her power voice. Here, go to the cashier and ask her to give you a price check and then come back and let me know. And at first she was very adamant. She's like, no, I'm too scared. Will you come with me? Okay, will you stand behind me? Will you stand beside me? Will you whisper it in my ear? Sure, but you're going to do it. To the point to where we did it over time so many times, you know, and she does just, she just does it on her own now. I love uh, all of those micro power habits. I still use the power pose. That's something I did all the time. (laughs) If I'm going into a a situation and I just notice my body is just like not... Mm -hmm. My mind's there, but my body isn't coming along with me. I will stand in that power pose like this. This is wonderful for as long as I need to in order to feel it. Yeah. And I want to remind people that power poses are not just when you're standing. They're even when you're sitting. And if anybody wants to get a better idea of uh, the the concept of power poses, look up uh, Amy Cuddy's TED Talk on power poses. She was a Harvard professor who did research on the power poses. It's a controversial study now because some people are like, no, it's not effective. But you'd be the deciding person if it works for your child or not. But even when they're sitting, you know, like taking up space, that whole study of like how girls are taught to close themselves in. Sure. And that makes you very introverted and not self-assured versus boys are encouraged to like, hey, take up space, sit back, lean back. But you're not slouching. You're leaning back assertively, I guess you can call it. You know, take up space. Don't be afraid. Because you're owning your own power, you're owning yourself when you do that. And those are the micro habits that we need to teach our children to just speak with confidence, ask questions with confidence, sit with confidence, stand, walk, all of that. So such tiny little habits. So if you know your child has a certain challenge, like for example, they're afraid to be the first one up front in line at school to go to lunch or whatever. If you're volunteering at the school, challenge your child to go up to the front. And if you have to tell the teacher, hey, this is what I'm trying to do, get your teacher involved. Because that's a tiny, tiny little thing that doesn't really take much time or effort, right? And so just have your child be the line leader. Because once they feel the power of being the line leader, guess what? They're going to feel like, oh, wow, that wasn't so scary, number one. And hey, I'm good enough to do that. Yes, yes, yes. And that goes back, of course, to just, you know, worthiness. And I love this idea of really combating bullying with, offense instead of defense, you know, and and we're building tools for kids to not even have to go there instead of just playing catch up and clean up once it's happening. And I feel like we're always behind the ball in that regard. And while a lot of the social emotional learning programs, I think that is one of the results of it, that that's, you know, what people really want as a result. I think the things that you are talking about, the target bullying behaviors are a little bit more pointed and serve a very clear outcome where it's not just we're all going to feel good, which is amazing. We want to feel good, but we also want to feel safe internally within our school environments. But confidence is something that I think is 
totally a bully's kryptonite, both as the bully and as a victim of bullying, is, is that confidence to speak up, use your voice, say no, tell someone when it's happening. And again, not just for kids. You referred to many times that the role of the adults and the role modeling of the adults is crucial to get these messages across. So ultimately, while these programs generally focus on kids, again, we keep going back to this introspective work that has to be done first, because at the end of the day, if we're teaching these things, but then the way that the kids notice that the colleagues are talking to each other or the culture of the faculty is not aligns with what they're saying, those are actually the stronger messages that they're receiving. Definitely. And you know, kids are watching you. Oh, sure. That's sure are. <laughs> yeah. I remember volunteering and overhearing conversations or sometimes when I would do my own little reading group with the kids, you know, they're innocent and they say things that they shouldn't. They overshare. And they're like, oh, yeah, Mrs. So-and-so, Mrs. So-and-so don't like each other. You know, I was like, she's very mean and she's called her this. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is not good for them to know that there's conflict going on there. But of course, they know it. Right. And the other thing, too, is how a child is, I guess you can say, dealt with when they do something incorrectly is, oh, man, it's kids are like watching like a hawk because they're like, oh, is that going to happen to me? And what's going to happen to that person? And they actually care. They actually care because that's their peer, right? And they want to feel like they're a unit. And and I mean, if you notice, there's so much like classroom pride. And that's why it's very effective when you have like competitions with one class and the other. So you can use that to your advantage. And uh, if you have anything, like any question in regards to how to teach kids to not bully, is always make it pro kindness, pro kaza. And I use the word anti-bullying because people understand what that means normally. But I think my method is more pro, pro kindness, pro teaching kids to be a good citizen. And that's why the whole changing the language, like, okay, we're going to correct this action, not we're going to punish you. Or like, we're going to make this right, not we need to discipline you. We're going to work on what happened and how we can correct this or how, how you can get to the point to apologize instead of like, you have to, you know, like you have to demand. Because when kids feel like they're being obligated, when they're, especially when they're not ready, it's not going to happen. And they're going to feel resentful. They're going to feel like it's a punishment. They're not going to learn their lesson. It's not going to be sincere. Then the victim's not going <laughs> to believe them. So think about those things. You have to be patient and you have to always think like, how is this positive? Let's take the, the negative feeling and the negative language out of it. Yeah, well, 100%. So with all of this being said, what is your dream then for the future oh, education? This is such a personal thing for me, not just because I had to go and defend my kid. And let me tell you, it wasn't just when she was five. It's happened after that. But I experienced it as a kid and it was pretty bad. I came to the U.S. from Nicaragua at the age of seven. And for some reason, all these years, you know, like you get older, you're thinking, well, I was a target because I was the immigrant. I was different. I didn't know English. I had to speak it and it was all choppy and stuff. People used to make fun of me. Even Latinos didn't really know what I was or where I was from. They're starting with my education. Like I would tell people, oh, I'm from Nicaragua. They were like, oh, what part of Mexico is that from? I'm like, what? No. Oh my gosh. That's so sad. You don't know geography. <laughs> like it's Central America. So all these misconceptions, the fact that kids are not taught diversity opens the door to bullying and many types of discrimination. So 
if you can create an environment at schools with the parents that allows you to learn from one another, I think that can create, and, and I've seen one school in particular do this so, so well. Well, it was incredible where all the parents used to go to most of the activities, events, functions, celebrations, assemblies. I mean, it was amazing, but it was the administration that just put a lot of effort into making them feel inclusive. So if the population at the school was majority like Latino, then guess what the menu was for their activities? Something that those Latinos would most likely eat instead of forcing them to do something that is not, you know, in their culture. The music, they had a mixture of not just like, quote unquote, American music, but also like Spanish, reggaeton, you know, like all the other stuff. So my dream is to be able to create tight communities because that's really where it starts. And the reason I work with parents is because while there are some schools that have bullying prevention programs, they're teaching the kids, right? But how, if you're not teaching the parent, how is a parent supposed to reinforce that? A lot of parents have never been to a workshop that teaches you then what bullying is. When I ask at every single workshop that I've ever had, I start off by asking them, can you clearly define what bullying is? And it is so rare for a parent to get it right because most of the times they're describing teasing. And some of them just flat out say, no, not really. And uh, when I start talking about the different type of bullying, the different type of cyberbullying, they're just in shock. They're like, I didn't even know that there were more than 10 different types of cyberbullying. I didn't know that there were four types of bullying that they teach at school. There, there are more. I didn't know that every school district has a different or might have a different definition of bullying and a different policy on how to report and how to investigate, you know, the incidents. I think I went off on a tangent here, but... My dream is just to have a, a very cohesive community in each school where bullying is not really the main reason why kids end up having that scar as a child in school, you know, because you talk out to a lot of kids or adults today and then they're like, so did you get bullied at school? And they're like, oh, yes. And then they have like this, you can feel their pain even as an adult. I remember I spoke to this 64-year-old man. And he came to the workshop because he brought his grandchild. And we just had this conversation and he said, you know, I was bullied. And he started crying. And he's like, you know, that still haunts me. And I still, all my life, I did this or didn't do that because of what happened to me. And when you start having these conversations with adults, then first they'll say, not really. I didn't have any experiences like that. And then they start thinking more about it. Like, oh my gosh, either they witnessed something or something happened to them. And, you know, that's completely preventable is is that society thinks it's such a huge task like no you just start at home you just start at home or start with your classroom that's all and start with the basics but the basics are so underestimated it's crazy yeah for sure because we don't know and that's why the work that you do is so important so how do people get in touch with you and learn more about you and your world oh thank you for that question so I'm very active on Instagram, but I'm on, on social media at Dali Talks is my handle, but at DaliTalks.com, it's my website. And yeah, I have a blog there. So free information. I have a podcast, the Dali Talks podcast, which you've been on. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, yes. More excuses um, to talk with you. Yeah. You know so yeah, I'm here for people if they have a question and have courses, consulting workshops, and I can also go to your schools or your business because Everybody, yeah, I feel like this is something so basic 
that is not just about kids. Because the other two questions I get at almost every single, actually every single workshop that I've done, whether in person or online, is how do I manage bullying at work? And the other one is how do I handle a teacher bullying my child? So there's definitely work to be done. Absolutely. Well, we are in the works and it's really exciting. And I'm really looking forward to continuing this relationship with you and Empowered Educator because we certainly go hand in hand and it's just very exciting. So thank you for the work that you do in this world. It's been great to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much, Dan. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, make sure you subscribe and please leave a five-star review. And we'll see you next time on Take Notes. Incredible, right? Together, we can revolutionize the face of education. It's all possible. And it's all here for you right now. Let's keep the conversation going at Empowered Educator Faculty Room on Facebook.